Right, good morning and welcome. And it's Wednesday the 14th of November and the title that God gave me for this one, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, is The Husbandman Comes Looking for Fruit. <coughs> so a few weeks ago we were each helped to uh, pumpkin seed because Joyce made pumpkin soup, she didn't do Halloween and uh, it represented the divine seed that is planted in us at the moment of conversion and God comes looking for fruit so he's looking for this fruit, this seed to actually uh, grow in us and produce a tree and fruit on that tree but sometimes that seed can just stay just as it was, dormant as we will see as we go on in this study it's not necessarily being born again that actually brings forth the fruit it's what happens to the seed and how we deal with it so I'll just read um, 1 Corinthians 13 if I can speak in the tongues of men and even angels I'm in the Amplified but have not love that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion such as is, is inspired by God's love for us and in us I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose and understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love God's love in me I am nothing a useless nobody even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, if I surrender my body to be burned, or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Love endures long, and is patient and kind. Love is never envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own right or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. I think we're walking through that one. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of a person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, it never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. As for prophecy, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It will use, lose its value and be superseded by truth. For our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete and imperfect, and our prophecy, our teaching, is fragmentary, incomplete and imperfect. But when the complete comes, and perfect, total comes, the incomplete and imperfect will vanish away, become antiquated, void and superseded. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, a nepios. I reasoned like a child. Now that I have become a man, a huios, I am done away with childish ways and have put them aside. So we're on this journey from nepios to huios and in between there's a paidon and I can't think of a technon and a paidon, that's it, the two others. So you've got nepios which is a baby without speech a technon which is a child about five or six or up to ten paidon is the young lads and huios is the fully mature son all greek words will go into those at some stage so we've been looking at the fruit of the spirit in our lives which is the fruit of the spirit as we discovered and not our fruit and i just want to do a recap really um, The fruit of the Spirit is brought about by our abandonment or surrender to the Holy Spirit's Lordship in our lives. We were looking at that last week. His benevolent dictatorship, 
bringing us under his rule and government for our lives. We've seen it's not our fruit, but the character of God being manifested through us as we surrender to his dealings in our lives and his character, the character of Jesus being formed within us. So a couple of weeks ago we looked at the garden of our lives. If any of you want this sheet, I can photocopy it for you. And this was what it said. For all of us there are certain people and influences that beat a path through our lives. Here are some of them. All can harden our hearts in such a way that there is little or no response to the word of God which may have been planted in our hearts. In the parable of the sower, Jesus spoke about pathways. Pathway people... Can you just switch me off a tick? Whoever... Okay. Thank you. In the parable of the sower, Jesus spoke about pathways, pathway people, where the seeds never germinated, those seeds that we've been given, here comes why we had the seeds. And the following could be some suggestions for why that precious seed isn't sprouting and growing in your life. So check them out. The first one is your friends and associates. Who are the people who most frequently pound a path through your life? What sort of impact do they make upon your mind? Are they hardening you against God? Do they compact and compress your convictions against Jesus? Are they slowly solidifying your sentiments against the Spirit? The second one is the literature that we read, the TV programs that we watch, and if we do it, the, the uh, cinema that we go to and see. In this certain area, we are more often creatures of habit. We acquire certain habits, uh, appetites and preferences for certain programs. Are we realising that we're actually clay in the hands of the people who produce these programs, being manipulated and formed to the image that they choose? Is a pattern of worldly thought being cemented in me by what I read and watch? The music I listen to. The biggest problem with the world's music is that it distracts us from the things of the spirit. Be careful it lies what you hear here here. So true you know that. Be careful it lies what you see see see. Careful little feet where you go go go. Tell me later. Joyce has got a joke. <laughs> I think you better turn me off. We've got to find out what this is. <laughs> Supercharged bun. <laughs> so be careful, little ears. Uh, number four is the pursuit of pleasure. Some pursuits are noble and commendable, others can be debasing and destructive, and pleasure can become an obsession. Are the resources I devote to my pleasure wisely spent? Personal ambitions? Any ambition established deep within our will becomes the pole star of our daily decisions. Everything will revolve around that and, and point to one object. Everything else can become secondary. Do I have a godly or ungodly ambition? Check it out. The last one is number six, my thought life. I'm not what I think I am, but what I think I am. Our persistent old thought patterns are the toughest soil God ever has to tackle. Some of us harbour places where old, unforgiven grudges and grievances have hardened us over the years. Even the dynamite of the Holy Spirit can scarcely break up the compacted soil of hostility and censure within us. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Would my thought life bear exposure to others? What would happen if suddenly I looked up and could see on the ticker tape going across your faces, your foreheads, what you were thinking about? Would your thoughts change? I'm not looking at anybody, I'm like Jesus, writing in the sand. <laughs> Uh, sometimes people, often people will sit with me in the, in the little room and say, I know what you're thinking. And I say to them, no you don't, because I'm not thinking anything. 
I really truly am not. I'm in communication with God. I'm finding out what he wants to say about what this terrible thing they've just told me. You know, they think I'm going to come down in judgment against them. And I'm actually saying, how do you want to respond to this, Lord? You know, it's, you can walk through there. It's an empty room most of the time up here. <laughs> it is. But it's not an empty thought passing through an empty head, as Graham would say. <laughs> anyway, so last week... We looked at that interesting word, and I still don't know how to pronounce it, mm. unless anybody's a Greek scholar and they tell me how to pronounce all these things. Praut, P-R-A-U-T-E-S. We looked at meekness. Um, it consists not in a person's outward behaviour, nor yet in his relations to his fellow men, as little in his mere natural disposition it is an inwrought grace of the soul and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God it is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting to paraphrase it is putting the first commandment first because the problem we have had in the church since Jesus went up is that we put the second commandment first. We've tried to love our neighbour as ourselves without loving God first with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And because everything comes from our relationship with him, our efforts to love our neighbour have been singularly disappointing. So we're trying to love our neighbour next door there as ourselves because through the love that God places in us because in the natural we wouldn't be able to do it. This word is closely linked with oh I can't say it we had this last week tapina ferosune humility and that's spelt T-A-P I'm, look, I'm reading from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words T-A-P-E-I-N O-P-H-R-O-S-U-N-A and it is humility you know Koine Greek is so exact and the English language is so loose that it is so unless there are times when you look it up and uh, significant words to find out exactly what it's saying you would not draw that out of meekness or humility so a vines is very very useful if you're going to be a serious scholar of the word um, you know I've said many times haven't I the, um, when the rabbis are looking for uh, students and this would have happened in Jesus day um, they measure them by they've got four expressions that they use the first one is um, a sponge a disciple who is a sponge sucks up the good, the bad and the ugly can't discern the difference but it sucks everything up <laughs> good, bad and ugly the next one is the funnel drop it in the top nice and wide straight out the bottom I've known those you pour it all in and they yeah, yeah, yeah wow, come back for some more next week Psh, gone through the bottom forgotten what they had last week straight through funnel the next one is the sieve sieves out all the rubbish the old broken bottles and the tin cans and the tops and things like that puts that aside as precious so that they might be able to tell you why Paul wasn't married and how many children Peter had and all the trivia whilst leaving all the decent stuff behind the last one is the sifter and the sifter sifts out the fine flour and retains that so the rabbi will be looking for someone who is retaining what is taught he'll dismiss all the others and the fact that Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and called these fishermen said things that we wouldn't know in the English. They would have been turned down for being disciples because they'd have come into one of those categories. So Jesus says God has chosen you know, the weak and the foolish to tell the things about. So he picks them and says, come on boys, you'll do. They already would have been turned down as I say to be the closest to the rabbi because they, they would walk around with two or three hundred people following them and they'd be absolutely captivated by all their words so Jesus was no different he had his followers he did exactly what a rabbi would do the difficulty the Pharisees had was that he said to them you have heard it said 
but I say. And it was the authority with which he said things that really got up their left nostril. They didn't like that. And there had been many false Christs before, so they were sending out their people to find out if this is the one. Um, but he chose the weak things, the foolish things of the world to confound these wise guys. Paul probably was the one exception there because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's why he was persecuting Jesus. But it's interesting to, to know the, the way it goes back. Anyway, so going back to our word, the word that we've got here, the prot word, or prot, how we pronounce it, it's only the humble heart which is also the meek and which as such doesn't fight against God and more or less struggle and contend with him. This meekness is a meekness towards God, but it's also in the face of men, even evil men, uh, out of a sense that these with the insults and injuries which they may inflict are permitted and even employed by God for the chastening and purifying of his elect. So I think we've probably come up against that this morning with our next door neighbour. She is there to do a work in all of us. Not just Joyce and I, because it will actually cause a reaction in you guys when someone says, can you move your car? Put your own reaction in there. Um, <laughs> I'm reminded of Joyce Mayo, you know, and, and the puppet, the, um, what about me, what about me, what about me? God took her to task on one morning when she got out of bed and he said, all I hear, Joyce, is, what about me, what about me? <laughs> So here we are, you see, this meaning of prot is not readily expressed in English for the terms meekness, mildness, commonly used, suggest weakness and pusillanimity, someone can look that up for me, to a greater or lesser extent, whereas prot does nothing of the kind. So it's, it's difficult to find a, a rendering uh, less open to objection, it says, than meekness. But prot describes a condition of the mind and heart as gentleness, really. Um, described negatively, meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It's an equanimity of spirit that is neither elated nor cast down, simply because it is not occupied with self at all. It's just not occupied with it. Okay. So we looked at the garden and we looked at the seed. Um, and this seed is representative of what was placed in us at the moment of conversion. And we learned that this seed must have the right conditions in order to grow, that the weeds in our lives must be rooted out in order for fruit to come forth. Remember the husband then comes looking for fruit. We must decrease, he must increase. There is no shortcut. Anyone who's bought a house will know that sometimes it just isn't what it appears to be when you look at it the first time. You go in, you look at it, and you think, bit of paint, bit of wallpaper, this place will be all right, that's all it needs. And it'll be just fine. And what often happens is that when you've moved in and you've put your foot through the first floorboard, uh, you find that during the redecoration, some major floors appear. <coughs> Those picturesque beams which graced the ceiling turn out to be styrofoam imitations, all yellow and horrible. The stunning stone fireplace which covered most of one wall in the living room was improperly constructed. Lighting the fire filled the room with smoke. Tell us about it. <laughs> First time we lit the fire in this room because we didn't know it wasn't a proper chimney. It's actually only got an outlet about that size because it's just for show. We had to open the windows because the room filled with smoke. My son said it looks like the place, it was just rolling out of the room. <laughs> we found out that it was just a flue for um, a gas fire and not for <laughs> a live fire. But by dint of a little um, antique assistance, like for uh, half, half bricks, <laughs> The, the dog up sufficiently to get the smoke if we can get it going in a good draft to go upwards otherwise you can resemble a kipper when you've had the 
<laughs> so we found that one out. We also found um, rising damp from a fractured pipe under the concrete floor of the lounge within weeks of moving in, didn't we? That was really quite a hoot. The morning we found it out, there was a chair over there in the corner and I'd left a magazine face down. I picked it up and it was damp on the cover, just a sort of a haze of damp. I said, just damp. And then we began to look around at the wall and there seemed to be like a line going up the wall where the paint was beginning to blister off. So we left it a bit because we didn't understand and didn't seem to be very warm. It was October time, wasn't it, when we moved in? And then this line went up further and we began... It's not good, is it, this? Eventually, I think it was about three foot from the ground, wasn't it, in places? Felt like more. Yes, Joyce is telling me it's the fish that got away on the story. <laughs> How did we come to pull the carpet back? Really wet. Really wet. So we pulled the carpet back. And there it was, the water. We got our first real guest, who was a lady on crutches. So everything had to be pulled to the centre of the room because we also pulled the carpet up this end and there it was again, all wet. So we found the landlady and uh, she sent the workman down. What was this, Stuart? Stuart. And Stuart comes. And we didn't know anything about Stuart. But I looked in this room and he's on his knees, about between, just in front of where Anne is there. He was on his knees and he jumped when I came in so I said uh, praying like that you know joking it's well I was actually I'm asking the Lord to show me where the leak is he was a Christian <laughs> and he pinpointed the leak because the <coughs> concrete floor pipes embedded in concrete floor good thinking fractured pipe under there <coughs> took us weeks didn't it and of course I don't remember what happened to the how the walls got repainted um, but you can see where I'm going can't you it was our experience so now you line that experience up smoke filled room rising damp but the house looked fine when we came in we glibly say if any man is in Christ he's a new creation is he? Salvation is more than paint and wallpaper. That's where I'm going. It's easy to move from one kingdom to the other without any measurable change taking place. We are born again. We move over. We go churchified. Everything's got a cross on it. We wear them inner ears round our neck. If you're me, inner ears round our neck. Everything goes like that. It's wallpaper. It's paint. There is no measurable change taking place. All the old mindsets, belief systems and behaviours come over. We say, I'm a new creation, old things have passed away. My question is, have they? We can have um, a new heart and a Babylonian mind still. In my experience, the Lord keeps going deeper in our lives until he touches a foundation of reality and then he begins to build the new person. This is why so often he will absolutely take you apart because he cannot build on the foundation that is there. On no other foundation can any man lay than Christ he will not lay a foundation on the old man. So it's more than paint and wallpaper. It's that new seed. The flesh cannot be anointed no matter how hard it tries, and believe me, it tries. Blood, sweat and tears, inspiration, perspiration and desperation, fruit production, nil. What, have a look at the church got a brilliant idea followed by perspiration and desperation because that's all it is 
a brilliant idea. And along with losing her once lofty idea and awareness of who God is, she has lost the power to change because she's stuck with the giant undisturbed. We're going to look when we look at Agape. There are is it seven giants. Um, look good, feel good, be right. Have an, your own agenda. Don't get disturbed. There's there's a number of them, seven of them. And, and if we really allow God to put these words into us and say, "Okay, Lord, which ones of these apply to me?" You know, we will find that we've got an agenda. We've got an agenda. We've got we've got these giants here. Look good, feel good, be right. I'm going to have the last word. I'm going to be right. I'm right. <laughs> like Joyce May, I'm right. I mean, we might well be right about the car parking issue, but that's not the issue. <laughs> it's not going to give me any joy to just be right uh, when she's spitting nails, no chewing nails and spitting rust. That's what Joyce says. So the husbandman comes looking for fruit. And I'm not sure whether it was here that I spoke about the fine growth of lush, large green leaves. I had it in the middle of the night one night and I can't remember who was here. Because I'd been seeking God over this particular person and I cannot remember who it was now and it doesn't matter. And I woke up to see these huge green leaves, one overlapping the other. Like that. I mean, boy, there was lush growth. And he said, the husbandman comes looking for fruit. Put his hand under the leaves. Not a thing. All top growth. So you can put your own name on the top growth. Um, it can be your good works that you do in the church. It can be going to church. It can be your ministry. It can be your gift. Uh, anything can make that those large leaves appear to be Christian because we are very taken in by gifts in the church. We are taken in by the charismatic, or as, as Bob Mumford says, someone came up to him and said, uh, "Are you in that? Have you been in that cosmetic renewal movement?" <laughs> he said, "I think they had it right. <laughs> it's the cosmetic. It's the it's the image." that we want to project to people that is a big one just examine what sort of image are you trying to pro project when you're speaking to someone when you're dropping the odd name here and there you know um, when I drop Russell and Bromley I'm saying they were five pounds in the charity shop <laughs> do you see what I mean it's subtle it's one of the giants we're trying to create um, a persona an image that we want somebody else to receive about who we are. I'm aiming for being as transparent as those windows, that what you see is what you get, that there is nothing that I'm trying to put over on you to make you think I'm other than I am. And I'll work hard to do that, to make sure that you see me exactly as I am. I was going to say at the beginning living in this house for a week and I felt the Lord say I could and, and I was nearly going to say it the I don't know if you want to turn the <laughs> just anybody listening to this just just put your pegs in your ears if you uh, don't if you're offended by rude words well they're not rude words they're bodily functions burps and farts I was just going to say that if you live here for a little while you're going to be normal you are going to be normal. Bodily functions happen and often in the most unexpected places and when we would at least want somebody else to see us. And uh, <laughs> that last night, didn't it? Jesus. <laughs> I was asleep over there having done my bit during the day. Amanda, earplugs in over here listening to something. Door went because it was our next visitor. Oh, I said, open my eyes looked at Amanda and said, it's Coopy, I'd better get going. She said over the tea table, something about, what did you say about, I didn't know you were going to tell me expressly what you were going to do in the toilet. I said, pardon? 
And I suddenly realised what she thought I'd said was, oh, poopy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might have done if I woke up and I was sort of somewhere else. <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> you won't be able to keep a face up, you know, your masks up here for very long because you just can't do it because the God will just penetrate those Holy Spirit and say to you, you know, knock it off. <laughs> you function the same as we do. <sighs> so you do blood, sweat and tears trying to get people to think that we are something we are not and if we have no identity in God that is what we will do because mm. it's not a condemnation this is a diagnostic if you see someone and you know jolly well that they're just trying to impress it's because they don't know who they are or whose they are they're not relaxed in, in whose they are in God and as Graham would say you can say anything in God's presence and yet somehow you can't you know like this went through my mind to say that at the beginning of the meeting and the Holy Spirit said you can say that and I thought now <laughs> and then he brought it back then you can say that that's okay you know let's be real so he gets down to that foundation of reality and then he begins to build the new person and I can tell you you will love that new person you will love it. Why we resist allowing him to deal with us, I have no idea. Because the character of Jesus is beautiful. Anybody wants it. It's all the things that are in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, self-control. I don't know if there's... I can't know if I've covered them all. But it's again, it's what we were reading this morning. It's love. Broken down. Love is not self-centered. This is where we've got to get into that center person that needs to be something or someone because really it's never seen who it is. That lovely CD, I see me in your eyes. Tell me who I am. You get your identity through your parents' eyes, through the way they look at you. Even when little Joel was tiny, Joyce said... Um, uh, Dee was feeding him wasn't she and he, he posited a bit brought a bit of sick up and he looked immediately at his mum to see if it was alright mm. even at that age seeking is this okay if I do this is it alright you put them over your shoulder and you pat them they bring up wind good boy mm. ah if I do that that's good so their yardstick immediately is performance mm. if I do this I'm okay but then you get a bit older and you're looking and you're thinking, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Because I don't know what's going to get approval. So instead you start racing around to get that approval. And all you see from your parents' eyes sometimes perhaps is disapproval. But you can't figure out where you've gone wrong. And the confusion starts and the whole business of not knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You start to build a false persona. If you're me... Uh, when I was born again and I can still remember it now uh, the one thing that dropped away from me was that I didn't have to please everybody all the time in order to feel okay I was a terrible person pleaser they could spit in my eye and I'd go back and say I was sorry because why? because my mum, bless her dear heart would withhold her love from me for two or three days at a time if I did it wrong whatever it was and she wouldn't speak to me. So I would not know what I'd done wrong. And I'd be like a puppy trying to find out what it was I'd done wrong. So that brought me in to Christianity with a performance mindset. It largely dropped away the moment I got saved. It just... But my friend in the corner there said to me one day when I was running down the Wesley Centre pathway to see David. She looked like a puppy dog dancing around David's feet looking for his approval. I didn't like that, but she put her finger right on it because she could see I wanted disapproval. He's my pastor. I need to say something that he's going to say, that's good, that's good. 
beloved with no need for it you have God's approval 100% there's no need to perform but it's getting rid of that peeling off those layers of wallpaper ever been in a house where you peel one off and oh, blows another one on the end of it <laughs> keep peeling away till you can get it because if you shove the doodah through it you're having lumps out of the out of the wall and God lovingly peels the wallpaper of our false self that we've placed and says you know the self that you really are is so lovely you're going to love it if you've heard Graham on um, I think it's the CD on it's Love Life and Laughter isn't it on one of them he talks about I really like myself I think I'm cool you know I really love me you're laughing but I think I'm lovely I'm absolutely pleased with who I am you know but what he's doing is not it's not self he's not building himself up or as Kate would say bigging himself up he's saying what God is building and doing with me I love I don't love myself in in my life the bit that God's still working on it's rubbish but the bit that he's done, I like. I like who he's making me into. I'm happy with who I am. He says, I like you as you are. I love you as you are. Okay, then. I'd rather be a size 14. I know you would. But for my purposes, this is the size I want you. So, settle it, sweetheart. So, I've settled it. So, I do exactly the best with what I have. I told him I want to be like the Queen Mother that came to me, you know how elegant she was in her latter years um, I don't have the tiaras but I do, but they don't show <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and she always looked elegant and I thought that's how to, to grow old gracefully I want to do that I don't want to be <laughs> as my son would say are you a little hard of him? Death, death, yes, yes Yes, in the left, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you that one, tell you later. Stephen and the East India Club. Oh dear, so funny. Yes. Right. <laughs> Not, hello, how are you, but, are you deaf? <laughs> oh, go, go on then. I'll tell, have I told you this one about Stephen and the East India Club? It's my son. He, he moves in circles. And... Uh, he was taken to the East India Club by a friend of his, whose name I can't remember, let's call him Paul, who's an adopted lad like he is. But Paul is a black guy and he was adopted into a very wealthy family and he went to either Harrow or Eton or one of these, so of course he moves in moneyed circles and he has a place at the East India Club, which is a gentleman's club in London. You can only go if you're a member and when you get very elderly you live there because you've got pots of it and so you can afford to live there. So Paul took him to dinner at the East India Club and he said, it's proper old, old colonial mum, you know, it looks old colonial from the outside. When you get in, you go back 50 years or more. He said, it's all, you know, flunkies and waiters and, you know, bowing and scraping and leather armchairs and frightfully, frightfully, and it's all this and it's very lovely. So they're having their meal and this old boy comes down on his two sticks and sits down at the table. His soup's duly delivered. Tucks in starts to get soup in. And a young wag comes and sits by him. Are you deaf? <laughs> a little in the in the left ear. Uh, thought so. So they carry on some sort of conversation and Jesus uh, Jesus I <coughs> Stephen and, and Paul are chatting away on their table, which is quite near. And then all of a sudden, two more, two more guys come in, and they obviously don't know each other. They sit just a little distance away. Look at each other. Hello, Rodney. Puts the hand out like that. <laughs> Charles. Nice to meet you. Lawyer. So am I. On the wise case, were you? Yes, I think I was. Was I beastly to you? <laughs> At this point, Stephen and his friend couldn't handle it any longer. They got up from the table, went into the bar and collapsed. <laughs> they said, people just don't talk like that anymore. There was the, the click, 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 click. You were obviously, I was against you. You know, we were 
you know, two lawyers fighting it out over this wise case or whatever it was. It was like a beastly tool. <laughs> I mean, to get those guys, bless them, to come into a new creation would be quite difficult, wouldn't it? <laughs> See what I mean about the falseness that we put on ourselves? We laugh about it because we can see it's so false, but uh, it, was, it made me laugh to Stephen. I don't know where he gets it from. So, leaves. So the husbandman comes looking for fruit, and it is possible, as we've seen, to have this fine growth of lush, large green leaves, but no fruit, because we're wanting to show something off. And a vine that is like that has been let go, the husbandman actually hasn't come round. Uh, uh, there's a vine down the end there, and if it's let go, it'll just go all over the place. Strong, vigorous growth, but all leaves. Uh, so the vine is going to need some pruning to run away with itself, and it needs to be cut down ruthlessly in order that it will bear fruit. There's a book out there on the um, bookstall called... Um, why God planted a vineyard, and it's uh, you, you, some of you met him, um, Martin Richards. He wrote it because for years he'd wanted to plant a vineyard, and suddenly God said to him, "Go on then, I'll teach you through it." And it's the things that he's learnt through planting the vineyard about grapes, about fruitage, about how to get all green leaves and no fruit. So for years we have seen um, salvation as paint on wallpaper, redecorating the old man with various spiritual experiences and outward religious activities. And in reality, salvation requires renovation and restoration of the whole man. In Christ carries far more implications than whether or not we're going to heaven. When Paul said we were a new creation, he was speaking about our participation in the whole redemptive plan and process for creation which began with Christ's resurrection. He'd bring in many sons to glory, not many nepios, not many babies to glory, many sons. When we're truly in Christ, we live as part of one, two, three, four, five things. A new order, a new race, a new creation, a new nation, and most importantly, a new government. We are no longer under the old management or government. We are no longer under the government of our old nature, which was satanic. We've come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And whereas when we were in darkness, we allowed Satan to rule us and didn't realize it, now we are cognizant of the fact that we are being ruled by somebody else. And that somebody else is the Holy Spirit. So it's all about surrendering our lives to him on a daily basis and giving him what he wants. In Christ, all of the old things must pass away because they are not compatible with the new order. Someone once said that the Holy Spirit said to him, when the Holy Spirit treads on your feet, Jim, move your feet. So you move your feet. Paint and wallpaper isn't enough. We can fool ourselves, we can fool other people, but we can't fool him. And sooner or later, he will sit us down. He's not impressed with the things that impress us or that we are impressed with. And he won't have us trying to impress other people with what we want to impress them with. A friend of ours, um, the man that, you know, some of you know the story, won't go there today, but he, the night that his wife died, the Lord said to him, now will you get serious with me? Now there's a comforting word, the night your wife's died. He had so focused on his wife that he would not focus on God. So God moved her out of the way. I said, okay, now let's you and me do a bit of business here. What he's doing in us 
is to him extremely serious. He is dedicated to doing it. He's declared it in his word that he's going to conform us to the image of Jesus. We say there's lovely and pass over to the next sentence. He calls the things that are not as though they are. He says, I'm bringing many sons to glory, so I'm not settling for lots of babies who are full size with thumbs in their mouth. There's a story um, I read somewhere in a book of a young lad who went to stay with his auntie. And there was one room in the house where auntie said, I don't want you to go there. You're not to open the door. So, of course, that piqued his curiosity and he wanted to know what was behind the door. Well, every night about seven o'clock, auntie would go up the stairs and she would go into this room. So he thought, well, I'll just hide and see what is in there. So sure enough, auntie went in and this occasion left the door open. And what he saw was a man, full-size man, lying in a bed, more like a cot that had sides on it. And she was bending over him saying, all these years I have looked after you and known you and you never knew it. She had got a mentally handicapped son, grown to full size, but never grown up. We can be like that. We can grow to full size, but we've never grown up. Because it's an interior thing. We could have been Christians for many, 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 many years and still have that seed. Nothing's ever sprouted from it. It's never actually sprouted and grown. It's made such a profound if, uh, effect on me when um, I read that. And I actually did a paper that could be in the folder upstairs. And it goes something like, are your years of, a, of being a Christian commensurate with your growth? In other words, are you behind time on your growth? Only you can answer that, and if you think you are, then put yourself up for it, and God will accelerate you, because in these days, that is what he's doing. I don't think he's going to leave anybody alone, quite frankly. What's happening here is not something uh, unusual. It must be happening all over the place. So we dress up many substandard areas of our lives with religious fervour, paint and wallpaper, when his intention is to tear out and rebuild anew. When we start looking at the conversion from Eros to Agape, we will see the giants in our lives which prevent us from being real with ourselves, with God and other people. As I said earlier on, look good, feel right, be right are just three of them. And uh, there is have your own, have a hidden agenda, uh, not to resist change, that's a good one, it doesn't want to change. And as I probe deeper into the fullness of what the giants represent, I see things in the church so clearly. I can see so clearly. And this is not condemnation. We are in a new era in God. It's happened. We're in it. And in my personal experience, before the Holy Spirit can begin building in my life after the pattern of Jesus, some old things must pass away. My old man with its self-centred motives and attitudes must be torn down. The Holy Spirit will no longer allow me to just live forgiven and go into heaven. Comes the time when he really wants to start the rebuild. My part is to relax and comply with what he's asking of me at any given time. The faster I say yes to him, the faster will be my progress and the more I evade the question, duck out, and procrastinate I'm not only wasting my time but I'm actually storing up a more pa painful time for myself because this thing isn't going to go away any of you I've said it before have been horse riders you put the horse at your little jump and you're going nice and you're getting him going on the bit you know you're going well then all of a sudden psh, ducks out to the left so you right take him round then bring him up to it again going good diddly diddly ducks out to the right third time he stops completely you nearly go over the top but you're going to get him over this thing so we have another go and you give him a little touch of the whip Woo! 
goes over, knocks the whole thing flying, but we'll keep going till we get over it nice and clean. That's the way it goes. Training. So, whatever he's asking of you right now, give it to him. Some of you right now will be knowing that actually God is asking something of you as I've been talking. And he will be saying, this is what I need you to give me right now so as we can go on. And I need you to give me this thing. So whatever it is, whatever he's asking for, whether it's a thing, whether it's an attitude, whether it's a person, whether it's a job, whether it's a gift, whatever it is, let him have it. Because we're looking at absolute surrender and abandonment to the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Kingdom then requires more than redecoration of our behaviour. It demands reconstruction of our character. And the Lord's emphasis is on quality. He's not in a hurry. He doesn't mind the time, expense or trouble of taking 10, 20 or 30 years to shape us as being fit for his service. Some of you have got calls on your lives and you will find right now an acceleration in the business of getting you shaped up for that because he hasn't dropped the vision for your life that he has where you stood up in a meeting and said, I want all of it that you've got. He's got your card marked. So he's going to say, okay, uh, I'm calling you in. I'm calling your number. In you come. This is what we've decided we're going to do, and this is how I want you to do it. That's where the ouch factor comes. Because often the first thing you have to lay on the altar is your gift because we are so prone to use our gift as our identity. There's a guy called Don Potter and he's done a CD called Face in the Wall and he was with Rick Joyner's outfit and on the blurb it says that he was, he was a musician, he was a professional musician and so therefore he's used to playing to, to people secular and whatever but the problem with that was that he was more focused on the image that he was projecting and the music that he was producing than on God so God said to him step out face the wall play for me until he killed off the desire for fame and fortune and centre stage and you call it what you want we all have that need <laughs> Joyce Mayer's talked about leadership and she says we all want to lead something if it's only the dog <laughs> <laughs> we all have an aspiration and ambition within us that has that is part of our fallen nature that has to be purified and sanctified and brought over into our new nature so that when he chooses you and says to you, I want you to lead, you want to scuttle off to the smallest corner. Because that is the last thing you actually want. You don't want that thing anymore. So when he wants to push you and he's got this broom that he shoves you in, like from behind, speaking from experience, and you're not wanting to go. Five years ago, that's all you wanted. Now you don't want to go. I don't want to go. So all of this is shaping us and fitting us for his service. So allow him to peel your wallpaper off. Allow him to get the steamer. You can do a steamer now, can't you, and get it off. I bet that gets it off quick. A bit hot. <laughs> I remember some of you know that I was painting when I was born again, and, and it was prolific because it was the Spirit of God and the whole thing changed from from the darkness that was in my in my work overnight like to the lightness and the and the ability it was so easy and one night he spoke to me and some of you are old enough to remember maybe you're not there used to be a thing called Sparky's magic piano and when Sparky would put his hands on this piano he could play a concerto and the piano said to him I'll play anything you want me to play for now Sparky so Sparky gets into the spotlight, he's got this huge following, he's doing Carnegie Hall, he's sitting there. And this particular night, he sits 
and he puts his hands on the keys. Bang, 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 bang. Where's it gone? I'll play anything you want me to play for now, Sparky. I can still remember the place on the road I was when God said this to me. He said, I'll play anything you want me to play for now, Sparky. And I knew what he was referring to was the gift that he'd given me. He said, I want it back. So I did the sensible thing. Okay, it's yours. I went to my fellowship the next day and said, this is what God... No, I rebuke you, devil. That's not God. I rebuke... That's not God. That's not God. I thought it was God. He told me he wants it back. Giving it back. You will not find many people will understand when you say, I have literally put my gift on the altar. I'm always putting this whole work of Oasis on the altar till God gets fed up with me lifting this knife over it. <laughs> he says, I've called you to do it, now shut up and get on with it. You see, there comes a the place where he rather likes her to put a knife to it, and he says, <laughs> do it. Because that's what I've called you to do. Years, I, years I fought the Lord over it. I thought it was my idea. Until in the end, he sat me down and he said, will you stop this? It is not your idea, it is mine. Will you settle it, please, and do what I've called you to do? And when I did settle it, I turned the corner and came in to what he wanted. But I've been fighting it internally, fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. Because every time anything went wrong, every time we couldn't meet the rent, every time the ministry went skew if, it's got to be my idea. Must be. Wouldn't be like this otherwise. Don't kid yourself, it will be. It will be like On the back of one or two of uh, Ruth's, one at least, of Ruth Fazell's um, um, CDs, it's a photograph of her. Um, with her violin in her hands offering it up to God and I'm thinking there's a girlie that knows where it belongs so before she does anything she offers it to him so that she's giving recognition to where it's all coming from it's not none of what we do is coming from us in me dwells no good thing I know it I know it not a little bit not a scritic if any little bit is left, you know what it'll do? It'll sprout and grow. Mm -hmm. so. It's good news, not bad news. Don't look like that. It's really good news. So how many of us realise that it's one thing for you to trust God, which takes many years, and a totally different thing for him to trust you? That is a whole different training altogether. Because what he does is he'll entrust you with whatever and then he'll test you with it. And it's through those elegant tests that you get that he can tr learns, he not learns because he knows, but you find out that he's actually not going to trust you with his lambs if you're going to use and abuse them. So the issue is never time or trouble, but the quality of life and character that is pleasing to and meets the standard of its new owner. Bob Mumford says that without some basic structural changes in our lives, the paint and wallpaper never stick and everyone seems to be able to smell the smoke in your living room. <laughs> I would dare to say that the aftermath of the charismatic movement and indeed the renewal which started in the early 90s has left us with paint peeling and wallpaper looking distinctly jaded. Many Christians are saying, Lord, what's wrong? It looked good, but something's missing. There's no real substance. I want to belong somewhere. I want to be identified with someone. I want fellowship and to be a part of what God is doing. Resonate with anybody? Cry in your heart for that? We're in a new era. This time, he's doing it his way. We can't see a foot in front of us and neither do we need to. An example of it was me saying, he's telling me it's in the can. Last night, it's in the can. I hadn't actually typed a word. 
hadn't got a clue what he wanted to say but that's okay because it's not my responsibility to feed the lambs it's his and I came down this morning and I said to the girl did you smell the fresh bread cooking in my room this morning <laughs> always ask the Lord for fresh bread I do the night before we have a meeting you don't want to come here and get a, as Rick Joyner says a, a stale crust thrown in once a week and just in, that enough to gnaw on until the next bit Beloved, I believe what is happening is he wants us to stop being Sunday Christians and start being 24-7 Christians. Because we've like got a segregated lifestyle. As I said about that pen, which was a brilliant example I thought they'd given me there. This is my pen. I bought it, so I own it. It's mine. But actually, this pen said to me, well, you can have me for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. Um, but don't keep me too long because I need to go out to lunch with someone and the afternoon shot you can't have that and the rest of the week I'm at work so you can have two hours of my time oh and by the way I'm looking for a nice comfortable breast pocket to uh, slide into and show my clip off to real advantage you'd laugh wouldn't you we are bought at a price this pen's mine I am his I'm his I am my beloved's, it says at the end of song, and he is mine. She starts off with saying, my beloved is mine, 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 <laughs> and ends up saying, I am his. There's somewhere in the middle there, about halfway through the song, the transition takes place from realising that it's not about meeting her needs, but about meeting his, about coming into alignment with what he wants to do. Not me, 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 my, my, mine. Answer this prayer. Why haven't you? I'm disappointed you haven't answered my prayer. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realise you did. And God stands to attention and says, Oh dear, I've got to do something about this. It's called demanding this. I'm disappointed with you, Lord. You never delivered the goods. I didn't say I would. Didn't ask me. We've got a whole lot to learn about the nature of God and our responsibility and response that it should be properly towards him. It's brilliant because he actually wants us in bridal partnership. As I've said before, bridal partnership is when you're laying back on him like John the disciple was on Jesus' breast and looking up and saying, darling, do you think we could have such and such and such? And he looks down and says, I don't see why not. And wouldn't you like bells and whistles on it as well? Well, I didn't know if we could run to that. Well, just leave it with me, he says, and I'll sit. Well, that's nice. Bridal partnership, where we go with him to see what he is doing. When we first uh, did the Experiencing God course, and um, Henry Blackaby spoke about seeing where God is moving and working and joining him there, I could not understand what he meant. I didn't know what it was to see and observe and pick up on where God is working in a person and then moving in behind that. So with a consequence, I want to draw you a little picture of an elephant's leg. The rest of the elephant is up there somewhere, but there's this huge, grey, whiskery elephant's leg. And I'm trying to push it, pull it, move it. <laughs> mm. I've spent hours with people in the counselling room trying to do that, move them. And they'd look down at me, pushing and shoving and not moving each. All I could see would be these horny toes, you know, like they've got. And I said to Joyce once, I said, I'm absolutely fed up with shoving the back end of an elephant. I said, I can't move them. And it was like God said, no, <laughs> you're looking in the wrong place. So now, when I see where God is moving, I move in behind that. And I spot it, and I'm moving behind it. If that person then subsequently sidesteps for a minute or two, that's okay. I won't try pushing. Ooh, somebody else is... I'll go over there. And I can see what Henry Blackaby means. So I'm looking for a sprout, and I'll go and I'll water it. But I'm not going to saturate something that's going to rot in the ground if I put more water on it. Mm -hmm. I have to wait, see where he's working in bridal partnership. I haven't got it cracked yet, I haven't got to the end of the Song of Songs yet, but I'm getting the idea. 
There is a place in God where we work in bridal partnership. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many are carrying a burden because it's them that's doing the carrying? You know, they used to put um, a young oxen with an older oxen when they yoked the oxen for the first time because the older one knew when to turn, knew what the master was talking about and the little young one would just follow along because they couldn't help it, they yoked together. So got to go that way. So our yoke is with him unless we dodge out from underneath it in which case we're shoving elephants or digging our own row or whatever we're doing. So the husbandman comes looking for fruit and he's seeking actually God is to, to compress us and force us into a proper relationship with him and then with each other. And he's using life's pressures to conform us to his image. And he's using the present fallout in the church to show us there is one flock, not many, one, but there are many folds. John 10:16, which is the scripture that sent me down here, he said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. I would dare to say, though I don't know, and in, next week I'll have a different opinion, God is bringing that one flock together without denominational barriers, without division over doctrine. He, is, he will bring us together as one flock, though there are many folds. I didn't realise till he said that to me that I had been working with a sheepfold up there before I ever moved down here. It was a mini of what goes on down here. So I've gone from Manor Falls to where I had a little tiny one or twos, down to the flat where it went a few more, over to here where it's a bit bigger. As he can trust us with an increase in our territory where we push out to the edges but not beyond it, so he then extends us and then we're all again walking on ice and not knowing where we are because it's all new stuff. So where does all this fit in with today's teaching on the fruit of kindness? Simple. I must decrease, he must increase. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Let him have what he wants today. Let this be the day when you kill a giant. Amen. Thank you.